I am going to get us into our passage, which is Acts 8. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app, be good to turn to it. It's Acts chapter 8, because we're thinking together about what it means to have life, resurrection life, um, as the apostles did, as they did. Um, And we've seen that in the first instance, about three or four weeks ago, Steve talked us through that sense of the Spirit that gave God's people um, a very a loose, a loosely held disposition to their fields and their property and their investments and their rainy day funds. They sold them and they gave them to one another as they had need. When they saw the resurrected Jesus, their whole life took on a new perspective. And so they did incredible things, sharing their possessions with one another. They witnessed inbreaking power. Two weeks ago we talked about that. Powerful miracles were happening in their midst, like a lame man being healed, a man who was lame from birth. They saw that. Um, A week ago we talked about the courage that came about in the life of these first disciples, which meant that they could stand up and speak to councils, even at great personal cost. And against the odds, they did that. That was last week. And then this week we're talking about extraordinary leading. That's what I'm going to the title of this message, Extraordinary Leading, and a familiar story. So let's read it and see God's extraordinary leading for Philip as he uh, goes about his business. So here we go, Acts chapter 8 and from verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip was one of the apostles, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, I think that's how you pronounce that, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way, on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice, Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Okay. Let me highlight for us a few things. Let me just narrate the story to you here, in case you like me and you like a second time round just to process what's going on. What's going on in the story here? Philip has been in Samaria. You can see that in verse 5, chapter 8. He's been preaching. He's been proclaiming the good news about Jesus in Samaria. Even that is interesting. If you think about what Jesus said to the apostles just before he ascended, he said, go and tell the world, go and tell them in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. So there he is, Philip, in Samaria, and he's going about doing his business there. And it looks as though, right from the end of the chapter, verse 40, this was kind of his custom. At the end of the chapter, verse 14, chapter 8, Philip carries on, he goes to Azotus and keeps preaching the gospel around all the towns. So that looked like his plan. Philip had a plan. And he didn't need the Spirit necessarily to prompt him to make a plan. He had a plan. And he was going around towns, sharing the good news about Jesus. But then something very, very different happens. An angel appears to him, which even in and of itself is quite an intriguing verse. I wonder what that looked like. Sometimes angels, when people meet angels in the Bible, they are frightening figures. Um, and they feel like they ought to kneel or bow because they're overwhelmed by the presence of an angel. Sometimes they may look like you or I. But he meets an angel somehow, and this angel says to him, go south to the road (laughs) that goes between Jerusalem and Gaza, and that's it! That's all. Do you notice that? That is all the angel says to him. Just go to that road. Which which makes me... if I was Philip, I'd have said, well, why? Why am I going there? What am I doing down there? You know, what's the, what's the plan? What's the schedule? He goes, anyway. Not quite knowing what he's going to see, but uh, the next thing he gets, verse 29, is now the Spirit says to him, now go to that chariot and stay near it. So now he sees a chariot, I suppose, and along comes the chariot, and I suppose he's kind of, it's a bit active of this. He's, well, he's running along by the chariot thinking, I wonder what... <laughs> I wonder who's in this chariot and what I'm supposed to do by this chariot. And then he hears some guy in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah, reading a portion from the Old Testament, hundreds of years previous to the life of Jesus when he was born in Bethlehem, hundreds of years before then, the prophet Isaiah wrote uh, some words, and this guy's reading them in the chariot. And I suppose Philip at that point must have thought, oh my goodness, things are beginning to click into place now. You've brought me down to this random road, here's this random chariot, but when he hears this, he must think, oh, okay. Lord, I see what you're doing here. You're setting me up. You're setting something up here. Uh, But he's not only just reading a portion from Isaiah, he's reading the servant songs, a particular section in that book. And we heard some of it read in the reading that talks about the Lord's suffering servant. And I think at that point, Philip must have just gone, oh my goodness, you are giving this to me on a silver platter. And he gets up inside this chariot. This guy says, who's this? Is this this prophet talking about himself or someone else? It's just, it's a gift. He shares the Lord Jesus with this guy. And then moments later, there's water. And he goes and baptizes him in the water. And then he's gone. This guy goes, 
goes off to Ethiopia or wherever he was, maybe at least a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. He's gone and Philip is taken away. Interesting sentence right at the end of that, um, that paragraph there. The Spirit takes him away and there's no further conversation, no further follow-up. This guy just goes on his way rejoicing. So that's the story. And uh, when we read Bible stories like this, um, the, the thing we ought to be asking ourselves is, look, why is this here? Why is this story here? Why is the Spirit, the Spirit of God, put this story in the Bible? The Bible's quite a big book. There's quite a lot of text here. But it's not that big. It could be ten times bigger. Um, but God's included this story for our, for our help to equip us in some way. And the question we ought to be asking when we're reading anything in the Bible is, why is this here? And I, I, I think it's probably two things, and I'm going to give you two, but I'm going to concentrate really on the second. Um, my best guess at this is, number one, Luke is showing us how the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. Right? His first, I think his first intention here is to go, look, it's not just Jerusalem, it's not just Judea, it's not just Samaria where Philip was, but it's going to the ends of the known world. It's going thousands of miles away. And this guy, this this Ethiopian eunuch of all people, is taking the good news of Jesus to his home country. And it's going everywhere. So I think Luke's going, look, the gospel's going everywhere. It's going all over the world. That's one thing. But the other thing I think uh, Luke's teaching us and showing us here, and this is the thing I want to just spend a few more moments on together, is the Spirit of God's extraordinary leading that brought Philip in front of this man. The Spirit of God extraordinarily led Philip to this man, and it led to a great breakthrough for the gospel. This guy goes off and presumably starts something in that country as a result of this one encounter, led by the Spirit, Philip goes, he speaks, this guy's baptised, and he's gone. And there's a massive breakthrough of the gospel into a new territory, into a new country. And so I think Luke's trying to tell us, the Spirit of God's trying to tell us, be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. Because this breaks all the rules. This story tears up the rule book. I don't know if you think a long ways perhaps that I do, but Philip had no plan to go to the Gaza Road. He had no plan to meet an Ethiopian eunuch, and yet there he is. There was no preparation for baptism. Right? This is often one of those passages where people go to, look, you don't need a formal sort of church, you don't need an established church of England in order to have a baptism. No, you don't. There he is, there, at the side of the road. Shall we baptise you? Yes, great, let's do it. No formal baptism preparation, no alpha course, no anything else like that. And particularly, so striking, no follow-up. I mean, Philip isn't even given the chance to follow this guy up. I wonder whether Philip at one moment was going to go, right, we need to get you discipled, <laughs> we need to talk about, you know, what it means to be a Christian, and I need to just tell you more about Jesus. Philip's taken away, he's not even given the opportunity. And off this guy goes. And that wasn't their custom. 
Paul in Acts 19, when he goes to a city like Ephesus, he spends three years with people. That's more like it. I'll spend time with you and teach you everything you need to know. I'll, I'll live with you and walk with you through all the words and works of Jesus. And he spent three years customarily with people in a city. Maybe that was Philip's practice to some degree. But not here. <laughs> no follow-up. And off he goes. What happens in this story and beyond is entirely... Uh, it's rule-breaking in so many ways. It's unplanned. It's spirit-led. In an extraordinary way. I like to plan. I don't know if you like to plan. I like, you know, phone out, computer out, scheduler out, to-do list out, calendar out. Any planners in the house? You can sort of put half a hand up if you wish. I like to map things out. I like to think through how we're going to do something and how, you know, exactly how we're going to get there. <clears throat> and so I know that I can be, maybe you can relate to this somewhat, I can minimize sometimes, maybe quite often, or ignore, even quench the leading of the Spirit because it doesn't fit with my busy day and my plans or my intentions. Now maybe I've got a, a particularly onerous, difficult week in front of me and I've got two o'clock and the, you know, maybe I feel prompted to do something or go somewhere or speak to someone who's kind of interjecting on my day. You know, maybe they're walking through the church doors and I hadn't, I hadn't planned for anything but there they are. And it's, uh, to me, sometimes it feels like an inconvenience. Maybe it's the Lord's leading. And I think some of us, self-included, uh, need to be reminded that um, the Lord's going to achieve his purposes in reaching people for Christ, yes, through our plans, but he's going to do other things as well. And we need to be sort of sensitive antennae up, um, waiting and expecting, what is the Lord going to do to help us reach a town, reach a whole bunch of people that we might not ordinarily bump into? I, uh, I had a puncture not so long ago in North Wales, in the middle of nowhere. Um, we were in my seven-seater car in the middle of nowhere in North Wales, and all seven of us were in this car, myself, my family, and my parents-in-law. And we had a puncture. It was very, very annoying. I didn't have a spare tire. So I get a lot of punctures, by the way. I had one the other day. We, uh, we, had, um, we had no spare tire in this car. And, and I had to call the RAC because we, we weren't going to get anywhere. So we had to wait a long time. And there were so many people in the car, the RAC driver had to get a car on the back of his um, pickup truck. He brought that along. He took the car down. The rest of the family jumped into the car, I think maybe apart from Daniel. And they all went off and uh, left me with the RAC guy and, the, and my, my car, my busted car, on the back in the truck and I was there with him in the cab. And it was one of those afternoons, I think early evening perhaps, where I, I just thought, ah, you know, this has been a very annoying episode and I'm not really in the mood to start talking to you 
But, um, and, and the other thing to say about this guy was he was a young guy, probably in his 20s, not the kind of guy who I would have thought was really hungry for the gospel, right? Just say that. Anyway, he, he starts talking to me. He says to me, you know, what do you do? Which people always say to you. And when you're a vicar, uh, you're tempted at times to say, well, I'm a maths teacher or a state agent or something, <laughs> just, just to kill a conversation dead. Um, and I felt like doing it on that occasion. I, just, I hadn't long been out of maths teaching, so I thought I'd probably get away with it. Maybe I'll just say I'm a maths teacher and then that'll just uh, end the conversation. Well, anyway, I didn't. I did say I was in ministry. Oh, really? <laughs> so we ended up having, on that afternoon, a very, very long conversation about Jesus. And at the end of that, and I knew it was genuine because even when, you know, he dropped off my car and uh, everything was done. And he was, he was, you know, good to go. He could drive away. He still, we were stood outside, stood by his van, still talking about Jesus. And he was still intrigued and still asking questions. It was the most extraordinary thing. And uh, I remember just standing there thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't even live near you. I don't know any churches near you, anything. I think I prayed with him. And then off he went. It was extraordinary. It was so bizarre. It looked as though the Lord, at the end of it, when you look back, well, the Lord gave me a puncture. It's a bit annoying. And then the Lord led this guy to me, who I would not ordinarily, if I'd have seen him, he would have not been the kind of guy you'd have walked up to. He was like my Ethiopian eunuch. I would not have initiated a conversation with him because I, you take a look at some people and you just think, nah, 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 no interest, zero interest. They're not going to be the slightest bit interested in the, you know, the gospel. And yet there we are having this massive conversation. The gospel would not have met that RAC van man, nor the Ethiopian eunuch, nor, I'm sure you could repeat around this church, many other people where we were not sensitive to the Lord's leading. I want to just give you a little picture, because I don't know if this is helpful. Just up there, I don't know if you can see. You see at the top there, there's two little black fans. You see those things? They are antennae. They pick up all the radio mics in this church. I just wonder if every time we see that in this church here, we'd be reminded that our Christian lives, every day, we could pray every morning, Lord, give me antennae today for the leading, for the extraordinary leading of your spirit. Who are you going to bring me in front of? Who's going to come into my path today? Every time we come in that church and you spot those antennae up there, think of that. Think, Lord, I need to be ready, sensitive, malleable, ready to go, if you lead. Now, I know some of us need to hear that, and I know I need to hear that, because that's how the Lord's going to get this done. But I do have one warning, and then I'm done. I do want to issue just one caution. Because this stuff is exciting. It really is. Um, leadings of the Spirit of God. Words of knowledge. Promptings. Especially the ones that end up where you have amazing things happen. You know, someone is saved and converted, becomes a Christian, gets baptized, leads people to Christ, becomes a church leader, whatever. 
something happens as a result of a prompting, and you're like, wow, this is where it's at. It's very exciting. Now, that's great, unless it takes you away from here. Because promptings, leadings of the Spirit, well, they feel real. They feel very present. They feel very spiritual. It's right up to date. The Lord's speaking to me now and telling me to go and see this person. Whereas what we have here, if you're not careful, you start thinking, well, yeah, all right. I know this is the Spirit's work, but you know what? It's 2,000 years old. More than that, a lot of it. It's difficult to read sometimes. I have to read it with others because I just don't understand it. It takes a lifetime. It takes 10,000 lifetimes, probably, to get to grips with God's truth in this book. And it's not so exciting. I like dynamic, you know, Spirit-led. I want to go places, hear things, go wherever I'm told. That's exciting. This is not so exciting. So it's a real threat, this. Can be. It can be. Because if a church goes down this road, and churches do go down this road, um, you can end up having a church where there's not so much biblical depth anymore. And we do remember, don't we, that this is God's inspired, spirit-led The Spirit led the prophets and the apostles to pen this book. This is the Spirit's word. But churches can lose sight of this and can lose their depth in this. And and churches can lose their appreciation of its sufficiency. You know what I mean by that? This, This book here and the words contained within it, they lift up, they cradle the Lord Jesus. That's how to think of it. This book cradles, you can sometimes like even make a little manger. This book cradles, it holds out to us the Lord Jesus. And that is all we need for life and godliness, for life in his name, for forgiveness, to be called a child of God, to know what it is, to be his. All of that is here. And we need nothing else. It's all here. It's sufficient It's also sufficient that we would know God's will and what he considers to be right and his pleasing, good, holy will. Together, using this, we can discern. We don't need anything else. Scripture is sufficient to help us know how to navigate through every moral conundrum, every difficult thing. What do we need to do? This is sufficient for us. But a church that's more into promptings and leadings and nudges and words can sometimes be led away from this because it's hard. Like this, is, this takes time and energy and effort and each other. And what in the end, what can happen is a church leader particularly, probably, can sometimes say, oh, well, I have had an extraordinary revelation. The Spirit's told me this thing. And boom, you've got a cult. You've got something that's walking away now, positively walking away from the truth here. 
because this is no longer being held up to check what people are hearing. And so I issue that as a word of caution. As a church, we need to be rooted, deeply rooted here, but with antennae up at the same time. Right? Otherwise, it's dangerous. Otherwise, this thing alone is dangerous. It's like kitchen knives. I see my kids sometimes. You know? You ever seen this? Matthew, my nine-year-old, he wants cheese. He wants a cheese sandwich. And he gets, like, the most dangerous knife in our house. Not like a little serrated thing, but the huge, like, huge, pointy, like, meat knife. And there he is, like, he does it, you know, he can do it fine. He's not dangerous or anything. And I sometimes wonder, well, <laughs> that's a very, very dangerous thing you're holding in your hand. But it's also a very useful thing. I don't know how he would cut cheese. He'd probably scrape it off with his fingernails or something, put it, bite it off and put it in his sandwich. Knives are useful. Knives are really important. Uh, but they're dangerous sometimes. They can be dangerous. We don't outlaw knives. We don't get rid of kitchen knives. But we recognize, don't we? They're a powerful, wonderful tool used properly. But we do understand, don't we, that there's a caution. Because people are led astray at the same time. Okay. Church family. We're setting out on this adventure together. It's the South End adventure. I love it on the posters, Mary's put. We are on an adventure. There is, an, there is an element that it's an adventurous thing to walk out those doors at the end of this service, keenly aware and attentive to the work of the Spirit. We're going to walk out in a minute into our week, Bank Holiday Monday, praise the Lord, keenly aware, antennae up, Lord, who are you leading me to? I don't, know, I don't know where you want me to go. You're going to call me to some weird road, A127, the road that leads down to Basildon, wherever, and stand there and wait for a car to drive past. All right. Sensitive to the Spirit's leading, his extraordinary lead. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. This, uh, this passage teaches us and trains us to have a, a humility and a sensitivity and an awareness that you may be calling us to do things, go places, speak to people that we just would not ordinarily do places we wouldn't ordinarily go, people we wouldn't ordinarily speak to. Lord, we need you. The work of Jesus in fulfilling the gospel to all the nations takes place not just by planning, though planning is good, but also by a sensitivity to your leading, Lord God. So we need you. Lord, we need you. And we pray that we would depend on and rely on your leading today and every day. In Jesus' name. Amen.